You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hi, Jack. Hello. Do you want to be on today's show? I would love to. All right, let's do it. Google's Project Zero releases information on a long-running watering hole campaign against iPhone users. A dental record backup service is hit by ransomware, and the decryptor the extortionist gave them may not work. Huawei could be in fresh legal hot water over alleged IP theft. Cryptojacking charges are added to those the accused Capital One hacker faces. We take a look at back-to-school cybersecurity with preteen friends and family. And we say farewell to a Bletchley Park veteran. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, August 30th, 2019. Google's Project Zero has released details of its research into a quiet, sustained watering hole campaign against iPhone users. They found five distinct exploit chains in use by the attackers. Google's blog says, quote, There was no target discrimination. Simply visiting the hacked site was enough for the exploit server to attack your device, and if it was successful, install a monitoring implant. We estimate that these sites received thousands of visitors per week. Quote. It's worth noting that indiscriminate isn't to be insisted on too broadly. The Watering Hole campaign was indiscriminate, but within the communities it targeted. The report says little about who those communities might be, but their closing advice to be alert for campaigns targeting you as a member of given ethnic community or a resident of a certain geographical area, suggests the sort of bounds within which the attackers operated. They appear to have had particular groups in mind. Apple patched the zero-day vulnerability the campaign exploited in February. Google notes that this single campaign probably represents the proverbial tip of the iceberg. That Google found it at all, the researchers say, was a fail on the attacker's part. There are probably other campaigns, Mountain View says, that remain undetected. PercySoft, cloud provider for the digital dental record and a widely used backup data repository for the U.S. dental profession, has sustained a ransomware attack. PercySoft is believed to have paid the ransom to obtain a decryptor, but there are reports the decryptor hasn't been fully successful. The ransomware strain involved appears to be R-Evil, also known as Sodinokibi. The Wall Street Journal reports in an exclusive that U.S. federal prosecutors are investigating Huawei for alleged intellectual property theft. The investigation includes at least one subpoena from the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York 
and this suggests to the journal that the inquiry is looking into some hitherto unexamined case of IP theft. Huawei, which has denied that it steals intellectual property for almost as long as it's been suspected of doing so, is currently fighting a case in a Seattle court that alleges the company illicitly obtained details of T-Mobile test equipment. Who the alleged victims in the present investigation may be remains unknown, and the U.S. Department of Justice is remaining tight-lipped. But the journal does say that the FBI has interviewed a Portuguese national who's complained that digital imaging technology he developed had been misappropriated by Huawei. Crypto-jacking charges have been added to those accused Capital One hacker Paige Thompson faces. An additional indictment was filed Wednesday, InfoSecurity magazine reports. The new indictment does include some newly identified victims of the alleged crimes. A state agency outside the state of Washington, a telecommunications conglomerate outside the United States, and a public research university outside the state of Washington. All told, the indictment alleges that the victims were Capital One and 30 unnamed others. The cryptojacking, which produces altcoin, also provides a rational criminal motive for the alleged crime. There seems to be no such rational purpose to the data theft that Capital One sustained. CSO magazine interviews several experts who point out the difficulty of preparing defenses against a hacker who works without a rationally discernible motive. John McCallany, a psychologist at Burnmouth University with an interest in the psychology of crime, hacking, and hacktivism, pointed out to CSO that many cyber attacks are indeed random and motiveless. The hacker may come up with a personal, political, or criminal reason for their activity, but these can often be retrospective and have nothing to do with their actions. Apple has responded to privacy concerns over its recording of Siri interactions, by deciding to disable recording and storage by default. This autumn, users will be given the option of turning it on, Ars Technica reports, should they be interested in helping train the AI. And finally, this week, the security and cryptological communities remember a Bletchley Park veteran. The Royal Gazette reports that Pamela Darrell, born in Rutland but making her home in Bermuda, has died at the age of 93. Mrs. Darrell joined the Wrens during the Second World War when she was just 17. She hoped, she'd said, that the Women's Royal Naval Service would send her to sea. Instead, they sent her to Bletchley Park, which, while not Topeka or Chelyabinsk, is by English standards about as landlocked as they come. She served there throughout the war, breaking German codes. Her work remained secret for decades. She was only able to tell her husband about her service when classification of wartime activities was relaxed in the 1970s. So, hail and farewell, Mrs. Darrell, and spare a thought and some conversation for the Second World War generation. We won't have them with us for much longer. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. Emily, we are coming up here on that time of year when it's time for kids to head on back to school. And that provides some opportunities for folks who may not be up to any good to try to take advantage of them. This is a fantastic time of the year for cyber criminals. Of course, if you're if you're a cyber criminal, if you're a fraudster, you love things like the Christmas shopping season. The back to school period is also just a really a really great time, unfortunately, for these cyber criminals to work out all sorts of schemes and collect all kinds of data. There are a few different ways that this is problematic. One, you have these kids who are going off to school and thinking here specifically about college freshmen. You think about the number of emails that you get, the number of links you're sent, the number of places you need to enter your data for housing and for orientation, for clubs and and career fairs, right? So there's a lot of different places there for people to be collecting data to questionably secure systems and also a ton of opportunities for phishing, right? If you're a college freshman and you have your college email address for the first time and you get something, hey, free pizza, come click here and put in your information, of course Mm. you're going to click it. Everyone loves Mm -hmm. free pizza. You know, it's your first time at school. So that's really exciting for people. That's sort of on the data side. On the other side, on sort of the financial fraud side, uh, we have big ticket purchases here. Maybe stuff for a dorm room. Maybe you're getting a car for the first time. Certainly for electronics. There are a lot of opportunities here, again, to fish people or to collect data or opportunities to sneak fraudulent purchases in under the radar. You think about normal spending patterns, right? We've talked about how during the holiday season, you know, it might not be normal for you to make five Amazon purchases in an hour and ship them to three different addresses, but a week before Christmas, you might do that. Same thing with the back to school period. It might not be typical to go and spend a lot of money at the Apple store or to make five trips to Target or what have you, but you might do that in the middle of August you're moving. You might see charges out of state, depending on what sort of school you're going to. And so there's all of these questions here where, is it traditional spending? Is somebody taking their kid to school? Is it a fraudster? How would you know? When do you pull the trigger? Fraudsters love that. They love that uncertainty. Yeah, I I can imagine too. There's probably a lot of folks who those bills get sent home to mom and dad. They may see purchases in the school bookstore or uh, you know the local uh, Ikea or something like that and not think twice about it. That's definitely a great example. You have parents who are just going to say, 
you know, wow, they spent a lot of money this month, but you only go to college once. Or, you know, for students on the other side, this might be the first time that some of these kids have financial independence. It might be the first time that they have a credit card. It's certainly, you know, the first time that they might be getting inundated with credit card offers. You know, how many of those are getting intercepted? How many of those are legitimate? If you get an email saying, hey, you need to finish setting up your your new credit card, click here and enter your information and verify your card number for us. You know, as a college freshman, how much do you know about any of this? When do you know to be suspicious when it is a time of your life where a lot of people are looking for a lot of sensitive data? Mm. It's, it's a difficult position. No, it's, it's an interesting insight. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me today on our CyberWire show is our extra special guest all the way from Lake Elkhorn Middle School in Columbia, Maryland, Jack Bittner. Hello. <laughs> Jack, welcome back to the show. You know, we brought you back because uh, we've had several listeners write in and say, when's Jack coming back? Well, here I am. Here you are. Ready for back to school. Yeah. Yeah. Going so seventh grade. Seventh grade. Very exciting. School starts next week. Right. So I wanted to touch base with you and learn about how you and your friends think about and handle your cybersecurity issues. So let's just start off with uh, just some really basic stuff here. When you think about cybersecurity, what kind of stuff do you think about? Um, I'd say passwords, online accounts, um, keeping your online information safe. Mm-hmm. How about privacy? Uh, yeah, privacy. So um, not saying your real name online. Mm. Um, that's a rule that me and my friends use a lot. We're playing video games together. Mm. Um, why, why is that? Uh, just because, you know, better safe than sorry. Yeah. You don't want people knowing your name and uh, where you live. Yeah. Do you ever have any issues with that? Have you ever had people come and be a bully or, or be uh, you know creepy on any online gaming things? Not really. Yeah, no. that's good. We're pretty safe. That's good. Um, so let's walk through some of those things together. Um, in terms of passwords, how do you come at your password security? Uh, usually I custom make something for which site I'm on. So if it's Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Xbox have a different password for each. Okay, so you don't reuse passwords. Yes. Very good, very good. That's my boy. Never share your password. <laughs> Never share your password, right? Right, all right. Excellent, excellent. Let's talk some about um, school. Okay. Your school has computer lab. Right, yes. What kind of security is set up there? Um, well, you log in with your username and password. Um, Which and are set by the school? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, so the school gives out username and passwords for everybody. And then usually we use sites like Canvas, which 
help us with our organize our school things. Mm-hmm. And so we use username and passwords for those. Now, do you have access to the internet on the computers in the lab? Yeah, yeah. And um, is that restricted? Uh, it might be. Uh, I wouldn't know. But um, <laughs> well, you've surely you've seen your friends. I, mean, I guess what I'm getting at is, do do kids at school figure out workarounds to get past any of the security things at school? Um, I wouldn't say that there are a lot of security blockers at school. I think a lot of kids at school are smart, and they know that if they are, you know, doing something that they are not supposed to on the school computers, that they'll get caught by one of the teachers. Um, mm-hmm. And the teachers are good with letting us know what we're supposed to be on and what we're not supposed to be on. Mm, how does that happen? Uh, they just kind of enforce it. Yeah. So what about at home? When you're using a uh, computer, uh, we, we have a family computer that we use for your homework. Right. Uh, you recently uh, got uh, handed down a Chromebook. Right. You use that. Right. How do you approach your security with those devices? Um, same thing. You know, username, password, keep everything safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I use the family computer for homework and research and stuff. I use my laptop for playing games and not just games, but, you know, if I need to write a paper or do some research on the laptop, I'll do it on there, too. Do you have any friends who've had any issues with with cybersecurity of getting their devices hacked or things like that? Uh, yeah, some kids at school with their Instagram accounts, the, you know, the classic uh, get free followers by clicking this link. Oh. Um, and so, you know, they give their username and password out and then they get their account hacked. I see. So there has been a couple instances of that at school, but uh, not to me. What about on your phone? You have a mobile device. Right. Uh, what do you do to keep that safe and sound? Um, I mean, you know, always keep it on you. You know, yep. I don't really give it out to people unless I know them. But I don't really even give it out. You know, I just need to show somebody something on my phone. I can let them see something. But you, you show it to them, but don't hand it to them necessarily. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, depends on who it is. Right. Yeah. And you know, I have a password on my phone. I haven't given it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lost your phone? Uh, yes, I have lost my phone actually a couple and- times, but I've found it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've gotten it back safe and right, sound. Right. Yeah. 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 What about your friends? I mean, do you, do, overall, do you think your friends are doing a good job with this stuff? Do you think, I, I guess my question is, do you think kids today are up on the basics and know how to, to keep themselves safe? Yeah, I, I, I do, because I think that we live in a very uh, cyber world and everybody's on their phones a lot or on the Internet. So I think kids really understand how to keep their things safe. So what would your advice be for parents who are sending their kids off to school? What do you think the best approach is for parents to uh, educate their kids and and, uh, handle these things in a way that the kids are going to respond to? I think that teaching kids about passwords and keeping their privacy safe online and, you know, like I talked about before, not giving your personal information out online which I think is it should be a given with online things because, well, I think, you know, kids are smart and I think they know not to give out personal information like that that could lead to no good. Do you think the kids today are better at this than their parents? Some of them, but, you know, people like me, my dad is a cybersecurity master. 
Um, <laughs> and so, but I think a lot of them are because, you know, kids are, you know, stereotype goes stuck in their phones all the time. Yeah. Which, which is true sometimes, but um, I think they just have a lot more experience with that type of stuff than some of their parents do. Yeah. All right. Well, Jack, good luck to you uh, with this year's school year and uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Karu Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.